the following podcast has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. to Perched on the Top Rope. It's me, it's me. I am your host, Lee Walker, and I am joined by Perched Gaming's video game guru, the Eldorable, Alex Todd. And the wrestling encyclopedia, Justin Largito, here on Perched on the Top Rope. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the WWE WrestleMania Hall of Fame hot take where we are going to spend our time on today's show talking about those who got into the WWE Hall of Fame, career highlights, and some who might not have done as much as others. I think we know who we're talking about here, but we're going to get right into it, ladies and gentlemen. The first inductee and your headliner, the Phenom, the Dead Man, the American Badass, the undertaker the undertaker has had a longevity career in professional wrestling dating back to his time in wcw i personally did not watch him in wcw when he was mean mark calloway from uh you know 89 in, into 1990 but uh it's fine it's cool we're going to start right off with his career in the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation, as you fans now know it, the WWE. The good thing about this is between Justin, Alex, and myself, we all grew up on different generations of The Undertaker. For example, I'm the oldest one here. So I knew The Undertaker from the golden era of professional wrestling before he was The Undertaker as he was Kane the undertaker that's right ladies and gentlemen he originally had the name of his brother kane he was kane the undertaker uh, that was quickly dropped after his first match that was actually uh pre-taped uh his first match was actually uh wwf superstars but based on when it debuted on television his debut was seemingly Survivor Series. And that's how WWF uh, really built up his debut. It was really, really cool. He came out with Brother Love. And he wasn't announced as Kane the Undertaker. That lasted one time and one time only. But there was also a quick segment. Uh, with, I believe it was Mean Gene Okerlund referring to him as Kane the Undertaker, this big, mysterious dead man. The Survivor Series match was awesome. I believe he was the sole survivor in his debut, which was also really, really cool. My favorite moments of The Undertaker, early on, he was a heel. He was not really as talkative as later on in his career, which Justin and Alex will be able to talk more about because that's when they knew The Undertaker. For me, the most I knew The Undertaker would say 
rest in peace. Yeah, no, um, seeing The Undertaker for myself was a little bit different than what you did, uh, what you saw as a child, Lee. So I've told you before, I watched when I was a kid kid, so not even when I got back into wrestling, but when I was like a small child, I watched uh, the at the time WWF for a very small period of time because my mom's uh, at the time boyfriend was a wrestling fan. He was a Triple H guy, which more on that. We'll get into a Triple H tribute show sometime next week. Um, but I got into wrestling during like the very close to end or even the high point of the Attitude Era for a small amount of time. And I did get to see like the Ministry of Darkness Undertaker. So like that as a small child terrified me. I was my first uh, reaction to the Undertaker was that I was absolutely terrified. Like didn't want anything to do with him. So I stopped watching wrestling for a couple of years and I get back into it around 2005, 2006. And so at that point we had the um, version 2.0 of the dead man. And for me, I thought compared to the ministry of darkness undertaker, I'm a little older. I'm going into my teenage years, going into high school. I think this guy's the coolest guy on planet earth. I think he's, you know, he's this larger than life character who just commands respect. He's still like the uh, one of the few that carries a character type wrestler, but his career was so long that everybody respected it in any ways. And he was one of the few that in these day and ages could actually pull it off. So I, my first, um, one of my first interactions with seeing him on TV at that point was when they reunited the Brothers of Destruction when they were feuding with MVP and Mr. Kennedy. And I got to see like Kane show up on SmackDown, the Inferno match he had with MVP, Undertaker feuding with Mr. Kennedy. It kind of went into like a, um, a like tag team feud between the two. And then after that, they went right into the build with Undertaker winning the Royal Rumble and going on to face Batista at WrestleMania 23. So like right off the bat, getting back into wrestling, Undertaker was the man for me. Like there was nobody that could touch him. So I watched The Undertaker from the Golden Era. Alex started with The Attitude Era. Justin, when did you start watching The Undertaker? Because let's be honest, you're the baby of the group. (laughs) (laughs) You are right, Lee. I I am the baby of the group. Uh, So when I first started watching wrestling, Undertaker was still the American badass. Uh, I think it was around the time he was feuding with Triple H going into WrestleMania 17. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my first kind of exposure to the Dead Man Undertaker uh, was definitely WrestleMania 20 in that match with Kane. Even though I I knew about the Dead Man, uh, watching old VHS tapes at the time, uh, I remember somebody gave us literally a copy of the Royal Rumble 1994 uh, VHS tape with the match with Yokozuna and. You know, I, I burned that thing out real quick, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Undertaker, he's definitely, we could go on all day, well-deserving of this induction. Uh, you can make the argument could have been in a long, long time ago. Uh, you know, nobody's had the longevity that Undertaker's had, I don't think, to kind of adapt to each generation since the night, since 1990, um, you know, uh, the streak is something that 
Uh, honestly, and I'm, I'm sure you guys feel the same way. I don't think the streak should have ever been broken personally. Uh, but you know, it happened. We can't move on from that or we have to move on from that. I should say, uh, Undertaker also contributed matches like the hell in a cell, the casket match, uh, the buried alive match, you could say, but, uh, all the other guys he's worked with, like mankind and Sean and Austin. And, you know, I said Sean in a passing message, uh, mention, but you know, him and Sean at WrestleMania 25 personally, that's my favorite match of all time. Uh, it was weird. And I don't really bring this up much, but 2008, I kind of got out of wrestling for a little bit for a few months and I don't know what it was. I don't know if I wanted to see what my life would be like without wrestling for a bit. Uh, it sucked, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think that match around the time that it came really kind of brought my love back for professional wrestling. Uh, I'm not even going to bring up the giant tasks that uh, Undertaker has had to put up with throughout the 30 years of his career, such as Giant Gonzalez and the Great Kali. <laughs> holy we don't have that kind of time <laughs> yeah but uh you know i'm glad to see him going in i even said ahead of time uh i think the only two people that could get me to go to a hall of fame induction are the undertaker or the rock going in and i think they made the right decision this year i agree and and, and speaking of the streak the streak started at WrestleMania 7, 1991, quickly defeating Superfly Jimmy Snuka. The next time we would see him would be, you know, at WrestleMania. He had Jake the Snake Roberts. And this match had controversy because Jake wouldn't put Undertaker over. He would not lose to him in the ring which is why we saw the tombstone on the outside. Now, this was not the original plan for the match. Jake would get counted out. For whatever reason, he didn't want to put him over, and that's what ends up happening. The good thing about it would be, you know, later in the year, Undertaker would defeat Hulk Hogan for his first WWF championship at Survivor Series of 91. This was awesome. It didn't come without help, though, as Ric Flair would slide a chair into the ring and Hulk Hogan would take a tombstone on the chair. Undertaker's first championship. As a kid, I remember this being like, oh, my God, a, a bad guy has the title. And, and at the time when Undertaker first came in, he wasn't dyeing his hair. He was a ginger like me. And they were using makeup under his eyes to really emphasize the dead man aspect. And again, his voice had this deep, deepness to it. Mm -hmm. And again, like he didn't talk much. That's why he had Paul Bearer. Paul Bearer did most of the talking for him. You would see like promos, like the casket match with Yokozuna, Justin, that you had brought up earlier. And he's working on the casket and it's an old fashioned wooden casket. And, 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 oh, yes. 
Paul Bear is doing all the talking. And, you know, just at the end is all you would ever really hear from Taker. Maybe one or two sentences. But when you heard that, rest in peace, it sent chills down your spine as a kid. The man terrified me as a kid, just like Alex said. He was terrified of him, like, during the Attitude Era. The Ministry of Darkness brought out an even darker aspect of the undertaker you, likes of things you would you would have never seen like when he put stephanie stephanie mcmahon on his L L emblem that that metal thing and, and she's chained up and, and he's getting a forcible marriage out of her and you know it doesn't happen guys come down and save her you know, we see Stone Cold Steve Austin lifted up on that thing uh, on the entryway of a Monday Night Raw. Other things that like got really dark with him is when he started recruiting people. The things he did to Viscera, Mabel at the time, the things he did to Midian, if you remember, they almost made Midian like the, the, the old school, like medieval sacrifice. And he took that big knife and like just carved it down the chest of Midian. And, you know, you see the blood, of course, it was so realistic. You were like, holy crap, this is insane. Again, I, like now at this point, I'm, I'm, a, I'm 12 years old. The man was terrifying. The man did his job phenomenal though. Another point that stood out to me as a kid with The Undertaker was his match with Brian Lee. Of course, if you don't know what I'm talking about referring to, it was when we had The Undertaker versus The Undertaker. At the time when he first debuted, he wore gray gloves with a, a black and gray tie and the hat had a ring of gray around it. And million dollar man, Ted DiBiase has, you know, says, I've got the real Undertaker. <laughs> and he's in gray. And this is where we see the transition from undertaker with the gray gloves and the gray and the tie and it goes to purple now for a while undertaker was the first big man that i i watched fly over the top rope and not touch it that really to me emphasized that he was showing off that big men don't just have to drop a big boot or you know, have to stay on their feet the whole time. He did a really, really cool clothesline where he did like a somersault and would like hit you and then like flip over as he's like doing it. It was really, really cool. So the undertaker really proved that he could fly that, you know, you didn't have to just be on your feet. And, and as a kid watching that, and as he got older watching it, the more and more I realized a guy who's six ten, seven foot tall, shouldn't really have the capability of jumping over a rope that high but that just shows me that he took training seriously that you know that was stuff he was practicing for me it was just really really cool to see because you know at the time you weren't getting that out of big men like hulk hogan ultimate warrior things you know giant gonzalez king kong bundy yeah yeah <laughs> am i wrong no, not at all. But like, you know, one of the other things when it came to Undertaker as a kid that really stuck out to me, 
everybody was always trying to steal the urn, steal the urn. The first successful person was Mr. Curtis Hughes. That book will be available soon, by the way, folks. I'm the one ghostwriting it. So check back in a few weeks with me to see how the progress is. Hey. <laughs> but The Undertaker had a phenomenal career and was able to adapt his character throughout the years. You know, like during the Attitude Era, when we're seeing the transition of characters into more real-life personas, he was able to continue the Undertaker gimmick. And the only thing, like, as a fan who grew up just knowing him as the Undertaker, the Undertaker, the dead man type deal, when the American Badass came out in... 0102 there was a lot of disgruntled fans about it because here we know the undertaker is just this certain persona but now we're getting a non-undertaker vibe but what we were getting was who he was in real life right the man likes motorcycles the man likes heavy heavy rock you know death metal i guess as you could put it so that we were seeing more of who he really was outside of the ring, but was able to put it into the ring and made it work. And it worked phenomenal. Uh, the only other spot that I want to talk about, and I'll let Alex take over after this with The Undertaker, was with Kane. When it, went, when it came to Kane, when Kane made his debut at the Hell in the Cell, you know, it was Undertaker versus Sean, and Kane just rips that fucking door off like it was nothing everyone was in shock and in awe because Kane was just as big as the Undertaker just as tall and it was absolutely insane to watch and Undertaker would not fight his brother for the longest time if, if you guys remember going back watching mm -hmm. Monday Night Raw Kane uh Kane and Paul Bearer it was more Paul Bearer Paul Bearer would, would say we're gonna run through everybody until you take fight your brother and these matches would start, you know, he attacked guys like Scotty Tuhati, the Headbangers, uh, JBL, I believe, was one of them. Or at the time, he was just Bradshaw. And the lights would go out, and it was just red, and you would hear the Kane's music hit. He would walk down that aisle, drop a boot, clotheslines, choke slams, tombstone, and just hands go up, down, fire comes out of the ring, and everybody that he was in the ring with when he was doing this like even guys like flash funk the look on their faces was oh i'm in a shit storm so like though that was a big memorable moment for me you know when he finally agreed to take on his brother you know things like the inferno match that they had they they had a gr great matches against each other great matches teaming together unless you count brian adams and brian clark that was just I should have just never mentioned that. I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> anyway, to me, The Undertaker will forever go down as one of the most iconic superstars in professional wrestling history. And for that, Undertaker, thank you. Couldn't have said it better myself, Lee. So um, going back to my interactions with The Undertaker as a fan, so about 
2005 to 2006 is where I come back in. This is more of the time frame where for the remainder of the Undertaker's full uh, full time in-ring career, so probably spanning that until about 2010, early 2011, that's around when we saw more of the Undertaker giving back to the industry because he was working with young guys left after right. I come back into wrestling. He's working with a young Randy Orton at the time who was originally slated to beat the streak at WrestleMania at one point. You have him working with Dave Batista, who was a megastar on the rise, who is now a hugely successful movie star due to his, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy and all of his affiliations with Marvel. Moving on past that, um, you had him working with an up-and-coming Mr. Kennedy at the time who was being taken very seriously, MVP who was being taken very seriously. If it weren't for The Undertaker, I don't think Edge's um, main event status would have lasted as long as it did because if you noticed, after Edge cashed in Money in the Bank the first time, his stock kind of started to lower a little bit after he lost the title because he was starting to do like the rated RKO thing. He was still working with top stars like DX, but he wasn't in the main event title picture 24-7. Um, but w the moment he cashed in Money in the Bank on The Undertaker the second time, he was a bona fide main eventer from there on out. He had a main event against The Undertaker at WrestleMania 24, which made his career. You can thank The Undertaker for that, for what he did to the industry to give back to younger talent. And you saw this continue on for for a couple of years after, although we did have that four year period where we had The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker versus Triple H. After that, um, one of, I think, Undertaker's <laughs> best matches of the entire street came at WrestleMania 29 when he had his one on one match with CM Punk and another person who at the time was red hot. Um, unfortunately, that ended sooner than we would have liked to. But such is the business. But The Undertaker was really about giving back. Um, he even gave back when it came to losing the streak against Brock Lesnar. I know Undertaker is actually one of the few where uh, he did question it at first. He's gone on record saying that. But then once Vince gave him the rundown and scenario, he was like, OK, I'm giving back to the business. Let's do it. So that is very inspirational to the, who the man himself, Mark Galloway, is to me because watching wrestling from when I got back into it to the end of his career, it was always him giving back to the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Justin, is there anything else that you would like to add about The Undertaker? So, Lee, I, I'm going to bring this up too because you mentioned it. Uh, my first time seeing uh, Ministry of Darkness Undertaker, I remember seeing stuff like The Ritual with Midian, uh, Kidnapping Stephanie, uh, I remember uh, the teddy bear that he burned uh, to kind of just mess with Vince's head. Uh, the flaming Undertaker symbol on Vince McMahon's lawn. And that's just from the WrestleMania 15 package. I'm not even going to talk about what happened after that match. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and then, uh, you know, the American Badass stuff, I think it really kind of rejuvenated Undertaker's career. So by the time that he brought back that dead man character, it felt fresh and it felt new, uh, you know, and to like to what Alex said, he would go on to work with a lot of young guys on SmackDown between that time, like Mr. Kennedy and MVP and the great Kali and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Batista, he kind of made him. I don't want to say Batista wasn't a made man by that point already after his feud with Triple H and everything, 
But, you know, I think Undertaker really brought Batista to the next level to be a top guy on that brand. Uh, like, their feud from 2007, I thought, was honestly one of my favorites from that year. Like, you have WrestleMania 23, Backlash 2007 with the last man standing. Uh, even their steel cage match that ended with that draw, plus the Hell in a Cell match later in the year. Uh, you know, he really elevated Edge when I think he really needed it coming out of 2006 and 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, the feud with Sean and Triple H, kind of that four-year saga uh, with the end of the era Hell in a Cell match kind of concluding that. Uh, you know, that was also the beginning of Mohawk Undertaker. I don't like to talk about those days too much. <laughs> he, uh, he had great matches, but Mohawk Undertaker, uh, I, I don't like to think about that a lot. We don't talk about Mohawks. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, he eventually grew his hair back out, came back, did a few more matches at WrestleMania, even after the streak ended, uh, until the Boneyard match. And, you know, that was definitely a great match to kind of end it on. Uh, you know, Undertaker, he's... I, I would not argue with you if you put the Undertaker on your Mount Rushmore of wrestling for those four faces. That that's how great the Undertaker is. So I'm I'm happy to see him going in this year. I'm excited. And the one thing that going forward with the WWE Hall of Fame, now we always knew that they kayfabed the Undertaker when it came to the Hall of Fame. He was not allowed to sit in the audience. I'll be curious after this if he'll be in the audience from here on out. And I'm going to ask you guys a question. I know how many WWF slash WWE video games are actually made. And this includes the ones on your phones. I want to hear you guys guess how many there are and then tell how many the Undertaker are in. Oh, Alex, God. First. Ooh. Okay, hold on. Give me a minute. So I'm going to try and think. I'm going to do some quick math in my head, all right? Okay, so... Are we counting back to, like, arcade games and Super Nintendo and everything? I'm dating back to their very first game, yeah. Okay, so yes. Okay. Um. Oh, I got to say there's, like... But I'll let you know he's not in the arcades of WWF superstars or right. WWF, uh, uh, the other one that they made. Yeah. Okay. But um, I'm going to guess video games made altogether. And well, I'm going to take I'm going to I'm going to take the number down a little bit because I was also including WCW games. But um, I'm going to say there's probably got to be like at least at least 40 Okay, and out of 40, how many do you think he's in? Oh, probably say at least at least 35 of them. Okay, Justin, how about you? Mine's kind of similar. I was going to say 60, but now I'm kind of thinking 50. I'm going to say he's in 45 of those. You're both wrong. Who was closest? Oh Justin was closest. Okay. WWF slash WWE in total, including handheld uh phone arcades there's 65 games he is in 63 of them damn oh, yeah 
Yes. It's funny because my original guess was going to be 60 as well. And then when Justin said that and he didn't choose 60, I was like, okay, so maybe I, I did do a good job not picking that. Well, it turns out we're, we suck. So out of 65, including the two arcades of WWF Superstars and WWF WrestleFest, those are the only two he's actually not in. He's not in the two arcade games. Everything else, he's in. Dang. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. Of, I had to like sit here and think about it. I'm like, Undertaker hasn't left the company, so he's got to be in all of them. So out of when it comes to WWF, WWE, he is in the most video games out of oh, any oh, other yeah, superstar. That doesn't surprise me at the same time. Good for him. So that's pretty cool. It was just a little random fact that I that I that I found and knew about, and I figure that's something the world should know about so you can date back to regular nintendo with the wwf and go and enjoy the longevity of the undertaker's career through consoles it's pretty cool and most of those games i have played with the exception of some handhelds and things like that and then the rest of them i have most likely downloaded on my computer legally of course (laughs) <laughs> that's why he's got a vpn oh. <laughs> and we're editing that one out <laughs> so aside from that the undertaker has had a phenomenal career he is a four-time wwf slash wwe champion he is a three-time world heavyweight champion he's a one-time hardcore champion he's a six-time wwf tag team champion and, he, and his partners that he's held these belts with were one time with Stone Cold, two time with, well, it's the big show. One time with The Rock. And one time with Kane. I'm sorry, two times with Kane. The one time was a WCW Tag Team Championship. Yes, the Undertaker is also the 2007 Royal Rumble winner. He's a 15-time Slammy Award winner. 15. That's got to be a record. That's a big trophy rack. (laughs) Right? (laughs) All of these include, in 1997, he won Best Entrance Music. 1997, he won Best Tattoo. Multiple times for Match of the Year. 2009, 2010, 2012, 2015, and 2020. Those matches include Shawn Michaels WrestleMania 25, Shawn Michaels WrestleMania 26, Triple H Hell in the Cell match at WrestleMania, Brock Lesnar at Hell in the Cell, and AJ Styles in his final match, the Boneyard match. Okay, okay. He won like Moment it. of the Year in 2010 against Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 25. 1994. These are out of order. I apologize. 1994, he won Most Intimidating, and rightfully so. 2011, he won Oh My God Moment of the Year, kicking out of Triple H's Tombstone Pile Driver at WrestleMania. 2015 was Rivalry of the Year against Brock Lesnar. Star of Highest Magnitude, 1997. 1996 WWF greatest hits. I, I'm I, I had to make sure I'm reading this right. Sucking Diesel 
into the abyss at in your house. Six, rage in the cage. At least he wasn't just sucking diesel. This is true. There's some I mean, rage in that cage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. He this is not a rated PG show, folks. Ever. He won moment of the year 2020. Uh, the Undertaker's Farewell at Survivor Series. And also in 2020, he won the Documentary of the Year with Undertaker, The Last Ride on the WWE Network. So needless to say, The Undertaker's career lasting over 30 years. Again, Undertaker, we thank you. Now we know that at, at the Hall of Fame Friday on Peacock, it is going to be Vince McMahon himself inducting The Undertaker. Now, these guys have a, a more than boss-employee relationship. I'm expecting Vince McMahon to get emotional on this one. I'm expecting The Undertaker to get emotional. The only thing I'm hoping is that with a smaller class that we have this year, Everybody gets their time. I agree. You know, nobody gets cut off. It's very, very hard to sum up a 30-year-plus career in 10, 15, 20 minutes. And I think that's impossible. If this goes two hours, three hours, four hours, I'm cool with it, to be honest with you. And I'm talking about just his speech alone. I'll watch oh, the whole damn thing. Absolutely. So I'm very excited for that. I'm also excited for the next person that we found out was going to be inducted. I had mixed emotions on this. I was very excited for the person, but then when I realized, I, I remembered back when Vader was still alive, he was adamant that he really, really wanted to go in to the WWE hall of fame while he was still alive. Uh, he, he was going through heart failure. He, he had made the announcements on social media I myself interacted with Vader a lot on Twitter. He was always retweeting me, quote tweeting, liking stuff. Leon White, in his early years, we know um, had some issues. You know, it, it, it is what it is. We all have issues. In his later years, you know, becoming a better person uh, for himself and his family and everything. His career spanned almost just as long, if not longer, than The Undertaker. He started earlier, former football player. He wrestled all over the place from AWA, New Japan Pro Wrestling, UWA, which is the Universal Wrestling Association, World Championship Wrestling, you know, WWF, All, all Japan Pro Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Noah. He was part of TNA. He made sporadic returns, uh, returns in the WWE itself. Again, uh, as a kid, I did not watch WCW. To be honest, I did not really know about it until randomly discovering it on TNT when you know they were making big announcements that they were going to be doing WCW Nitro. And, you know, and then WWF started doing these like vignettes, like making fun of WCW, hiring all the, the old wrestlers like Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage and things like that. 
and mean Gene Okerlin and um, they would make fun of them in, in, you know, vignettes and promos and stuff like that. Vader was exactly what you would have thought when it comes to the new Japan pro wrestling and the Japanese style of strong style over in Japan. If you want to make wrestling look real, you hit a little harder. They want it to look real. So their style is stiff. Vader was a stiff worker. It was, it was no surprise. Go back and watch any of his matches when he's going in and throwing shots at guys and he's hitting them. They look like they hurt. However, we interviewed Randy Hogan who wrestled Vader and he said, yeah, they were hard hitting, but he wasn't out there to intentionally hurt people. Everybody knew what their style was. Even Mr. Hughes has gone on record saying, yeah, the man hit hard. Mr. Hughes had different opinions on it. He felt that you didn't have to hit as hard to, to get your point across in, in the matches of what we're doing. But you have to understand, Vader had worked in New Japan and over in Japan for so long, it was a very, very hard thing to try and transition to an American style of pro wrestling when you have worked a certain style for so long. I didn't have any exposure to Vader as a young kid up until the Attitude Era, but I can talk a little bit about things he had done in WCW from re-watching. The man had phenomenal, phenomenal feuds with Sting. Uh, in, in Vader's book with WOHW, which by the way, go to WOHW.com and pick up the autobiography today. It's a great book. He, these matches he had with guys like Sting, Ric Flair, a phenomenal feud with, with Mick Foley to which we even saw like Mick Foley's ear get ripped off in Germany. That we did. Vader had such a strong style in a match it was in new japan his eye had popped out of the socket and he finished the match <laughs> unheard of we now, watched WWE, since... that's how you do an eye for, eye for an eye match <laughs> <laughs> you know we watched sin cara bent his little finger and the ref had to throw the X up because Sin Cara was going, ah! Vader's eye is out of his eye. Like his eye's out of the socket and he's still going. Call him ruthless, call him whatever you want. I called him a phenomenal worker. He was one of the best, if not the best, super heavyweight in the business. You ever see a man near 450 plus pounds do a moonsault off the top rope? No, but you can say Vader did if you go on YouTube and look it up. Vader's moonsault was phenomenal, by the way. For a man his size to be able to perform a move like that, it defies gravity, literally defies gravity because a man who's 450 plus pounds should not leave his feet in fear of breaking his own ankles. It's funny that you say that, Lee, because I was actually reading an article the other day from uh, Heath, Heath Miller, Heath Slater of WWE, whatever you guys want to call him. He was actually speaking on Vader's hall of fame induction coming up and if you remember back in 2012 he slater was doing that like i want to face all the legends thing on raw leading up to raw 1000 yes and one of his matches was with vader 
And he talked about that just a couple days ago while talking about the Hall of Fame coming up. And he's like, so, yeah, he's like, Leon and I, he's like, we sat down, we talked before the match came. And he's like, I looked at that man right dead in the eyes and I said, man, you can do whatever you want to me, but it is 2012, uh, 2012, whatever, how you say it. And the only thing that you are not doing to me is that moonsault. He's like, I, he's like, it has nothing to do with not trusting him or anything. He goes, it was 2012 and literally anything could happen. I was in a good run. He goes, I wasn't getting hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, he, he, the man had great matches as, as much as people want to be like, well, he did this. He worked too stiff. He did this. It was the style he worked like it or not. It worked for him. He was a big guy. He had to make it look like he's a big guy and hit like a big guy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what we saw out of him. Doesn't take away from anything he did in this industry. Again, great feuds with Sting, Luger, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan in WCW. Again, I said I had gotten my exposure when he had come to WWF. But this was a perfect example of him in the WWF and WWF not knowing how to properly use him. Just like Vince McMahon said, when Bret Hart would go to WCW, WCW is not going to know how to use Bret Hart. And that's the truth. This is the truth here with WWF. They did not know how to use him. Did they make up for it later on through sporadic appearances in like 2005, as Alex had pointed out, 2012? I would say so. Again, I'll never take away from Vader's career such phenomenal feuds in WCW. If you go back and watch those, the man had a tremendous power bomb. He had a hell of a choke slam. I mean, let's not forget. Y'all remember who gave him this? You remember who gave him the, the V sign with the hands? Oh, I know this one. I literally knew this. I'll wait. Hold on. We interviewed him. Yeah, I know we did. Oh, wow. I'm going to kick myself in the ass for this one. The following announcement. Oh, Neil Pruitt. Oh, shit. New World Order. WCW producer actually had Vader. He was the one who gave the Macedon there the V fingers. Another thing that Vader had that was really cool that I would have loved to have seen be used in WWF is that big head thing that he wore sometime. The Mastodon big mask that went over his shoulders. That thing was cool as hell. Absolutely. Vader had a unique mask. He had unique ring attire. And it was really, really cool to watch him. It was. Alex... I'll let you go ahead and, and speak your, your, yours on Vader. So, um, like you, I didn't get much exposure to Vader's career. It's just how the time frame ended up when I started watching wrestling. His career wasn't, he wasn't doing much at that point. He wasn't officially retired yet, but he wasn't doing much. Uh, I saw him in and out of TNA and Impact Wrestling first, actually, because at that time frame, that little lined up would have been before he returned at WWE. And then I, my last appearance seeing him was at the raw 1000, I believe it was, um, or leading up to it. 
against Heath Slater. So unfortunately, I didn't get to see much, but with the tape I've gone back and looked at and the videos I've gone back and looked at, um, what inspires me the most was Vader's career in Japan. Because when you talk about American superstars that became huge stars in New Japan, Vader's at probably the top of the list. He's probably, in my opinion, probably the biggest American star in New Japan pro wrestling history. Yeah, uh, he was. We all know that New Japan Pro Wrestling, just as much as Americanized wrestling, love those bigger guys. But over in Japan, guys like Vader, Scott Steiner, Scott Norton, those guys were all used huge over there because of their size. Even Brock Lesnar over there because Our, uh, of his size. Albert, Albert is Lord Tensai. Oh. Tensai yeah. was actually taken seriously in Japan when he was Tensai over there. They basically took that character in WWE and just made it a joke, but he was huge over there. And like he, all those guys have Vader to thank for that because he, he almost set the, the, the standard and set the bar for American wrestlers going over to Japan. I'm just going to let you know, if you look it up, he didn't go by Tensai in new Japan though. Maybe you don't correct me on air. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't even remember what um, Albert went by. He was Giant Bernard. I fucked up. Yes, it was. it was Giant Bernard. Yep. Justin, how about you? What do you what What do you remember about Vader's career? I mean, again, you are the youngin of the group. Yes, uh, I am the youngin of the group. Uh, so my first kind of exposure to Vader, at least watching him live on TV, was uh, around the time of Taboo Tuesday, two thousand five, and you kind of briefly mentioned that two thousand five mark. I just want to point out to all of you, and I know you can't see me, and you don't know how close I am to this camera right now. <laughs> but before Stone Cold almost came out of retirement this year, he almost came out of retirement in 2005, and he didn't back out because he didn't want to do the job of Jonathan Coachman. No, no, no. He knew Vader was on the other side of that corner. That's why he backed out. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, Alex touched on it, the uh, return on Raw in 2012 against Heath Slater. Uh, honestly, that's one of my favorite Vader moments because it's fun just to see him back and kind of getting that nice little ending in WWE because uh, if you remember his 1998 run in the WWF, uh, and I don't think it was the last time we saw him, but it was definitely one of the last times we saw him. He was uh, screaming at the camera. That he's a fat piece of shit. Just a fat piece of shit. But no, no. Leon's great. But uh, also in that segment, we got uh, Paul Bear running around with the Vader mask going, It's Paul Bear time! It's Paul Bear time! (laughs) Uh, Vader had some great matches. Like uh, WCW, just the ones that come to the top of my head. Uh, The one with Sting at uh, Great American Bash 1992. Uh, Starcade with Ric Flair. Uh, let's not forget the uh, Beach Blast uh, segments from the beach with uh, Sting and British Bulldog and Vader. Oh, and yes. Sid Vicious or Sid Just, whatever the hell Sid goes by. Who cares? Sid Softball. Uh, Sid Softball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, God. Let's not forget Vader was a part of that big Ron Simmons moment of him winning the world title, too. Uh, from w- on WCW Saturday night. I think that should be uh, kind of acknowledged as well. Uh, 
But Vader, Vader was great. I've always loved Vader. Uh, I love going back and watching his stuff. Uh, also, I just thought about it that uh, Vader bomb to Gorilla Monsoon on one of Vader's first first appearances on Raw. Uh, you know, that's one Raw moment that gets talked about quite a bit, actually. Uh, but no, Vader was great, and I wish he had more success in that WAF run in the late nineties. I really do too. He was paired with Jim Cornette as his manager. Seemingly a good fit. I remember Jim Cornette actually during that segment was trying to stop Vader from attacking Monsoon because Jim Cornette knew that there were going to be repercussions to those actions. But we also saw a different side of Vader that we saw on television appearances. We'd seen him on Baywatch and the episode was Bash at the Beach. And I'm also going to touch on one of my personal favorite shows that he had a reoccurring role on from 95 to 96 as Francis Albert Leslie. He was, did three episodes on Boy Meets World. Yes! That is the one I was waiting for. It was really cool, honestly, to see Vader on that show at the time, especially knowing... His persona was a big, big heel. And at first, he, the first episode, they had him play as a heel and wrestle in the gymnasium, if you guys remember watching that. And then the other two episodes, he was, you know, it was a more nicer side of, of Vader that we had seen. Still really, really cool that he was part of all of that. Uh, Vader, just like The Undertaker, is in a bunch of video games, but from different companies outside of WWE, he's part of various games of the Fire Pro Wrestling series of Japan. Those are great games if you haven't played them. He's also in Virtual Pro Wrestling. He's in Kings of Coliseum. Those games, you know, the, the Virtual Pro Wrestling is just like the WCW uh, World Tour and WWF No Mercy on Nintendo 64. Now, I'd already stated earlier, Vader had wanted to go into the WWE Hall of Fame while he was alive. He advocated for it. He really pushed for his book uh, that Kenny Casanova uh, helped him on. And speaking of Kenny Casanova, we're going to have him on the show this Friday to do a special interview. Shameless plug. Yeah. Um, however... It's the accomplishments also that have helped Vader get to this point of the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2022. I'd mentioned some of the companies he had worked in, All Japan Pro Wrestling. He's a two-time Triple Crown Heavyweight Champion. He's the Champion Carnival and the World Tag Team Champion with Dr. Def Steve Williams. In New Japan Pro Wrestling, he is a three-time IWGP heavyweight champion. He's also a one-time IWGP tag team champion with another phenomenal big man known as Bam Bam Bigelow. WWE, why is he not in the Hall of Fame yet? Don't even get me started on that one. You and I talked about this on the phone the other day for like, what, maybe an hour or two? (laughs) Yeah. When it comes to WCW... 
He is a three-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion. He is also a one-time United States WCW Champion. And in 1993, he won Battle Bowl. Interesting enough, when it comes to WCW, he is the one who put over Ron Simmons that made Ron Simmons the first African-American WCW Champion. When it comes to his accolades in WWF, unfortunately, he was a one-time Slammy Award winner for Crime of the Century, as Justin brought up earlier, because of the assault on WWF President and WWE Hall of Famer, Gorilla Monsoon. I'm very excited for Vader to go in the WWE Hall of Fame. It is extremely, extremely just deserving. It's past due, though, at the same time as what it is. It is. I'm going to take this moment for a quick second, just because, you know, everybody's caught up in how great this is that Vader's going into the Hall of Fame, which it is. The man is a well-deserved Hall of Famer. However, this should have happened years ago. You touched on this already. The only thing Vader wanted left in life was to go into the WWE Hall of Fame. He found out a couple years before he passed. It was about, I think we said four that he... After he had gotten the original diagnosis, he lived past. That's. Uh, I think it was. Uh, I think it was. He had two years to live when he got the initial diagnosis. Yeah, and then he lived. He lived past it. I remember for a little bit. I yeah. believe. Yeah. So that's that's at least two years that they could have found some sort of spot in the WWE Hall of Fame. There's there's people that I, I guarantee you. There's people that went in in that time frame that either could have a waited, or b maybe didn't belong there. Well, speaking, in my opinion, of not belonging is our next WWE Hall of Fame inductee. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. Lee is about to piss some people off. Or people are going to agree with me, one of the two. One of the two. (laughs) Our next inductee is Charmel. Um... I have nothing to really say about this other than the only thing I knew about her career. Cause when she was in WWE, I wasn't watching. I did not watch in TNA when she was with Booker T and the whatever main, whatever mafia they were main event mafia. Thank you. Very thank much. you. Thank Put you. Some respect on their names. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the only thing I know about her was I think she was a Nitro girl and she was paired with Kiwi from WCW from 99 to the end of WCW. You guys can take it away. Uh, so for me, seeing Charmel, um, I think I caught the tail end of her career, which may have been her whole career. Charmel shows up basically in my experience with pro wrestling as the valet to King Bucha when Booker T won the King of the Ring tournament and Charmel started hanging around. I know she came around a little bit before that when uh, when Booker was like feuding with the Boogeyman and stuff like that. Um, I know she showed up here and there with uh, like a feud with Booker T and Kurt Angle at some point. But for the most part, where she really showed up on TV and started becoming a notable character was as the valet for King Booker. And then we kind of saw her kind of go over when she crossed the line with Booker T and showed up at TNA slash impact. And uh, basically 
all of Booker T's storylines when he was in TNA were kind of just based around her wife. Justin, you and I were talking about this earlier, how yeah. uh, an argument about Charmel basically caused a feud to happen between Booker T and Robert Roode for about six months that neither of them will ever get back for their careers. Yep. Charlotte, or uh, Charlotte, <laughs> Charmel the shit talker. <laughs> Yeah, so, so that was basically it for me. Um, do I think she belongs in the Hall of Fame? At some point, maybe. I think this is another one of those cases where if she does belong as a manager, that it, either way, it's still too soon. Where's Miss Elizabeth? Where's mm-hmm. Luna Vachon? Yep. Where's Melina? Where's Michelle McCool? Uh, Lee, Luna Vachon is in that legacy wing. That don't count. <laughs> that don't count in my eyes. That's just a bullshit. That's a, that's a bull. That's a bullshit wing, in my opinion. I, that's I, a, agree. I agree with you, man. <laughs> that legacy wing is a. We respect what you did, but we don't respect you enough to actually put you fully in. That's what that is in my eyes. Um, the only thing I know about Charmel's wrestling career is that in two thousand nine through the wrestling observer newsletter she won worst worked match of the year at victory road in tna yeah it wasn't great uh not as good as melina versus alicia fox no well that's the greatest match of all time yeah don't get me started on that anyway i'm just gonna be a dick about this are we good on charmel uh, I do just want to throw one fun fact in there. Uh, Charmel's induction does mean that her and Booker are now the second husband and wife Hall of Fame couple. Uh, With the first being the rated R superstar, Edge. Uh, no, I'm talking and about the rated R Phoenix. superstar. And WWE Hall of Famer, an 11-time world champion, Edge. <laughs> I love Tony Chimmel. Yeah, he's one of these. Dude, he, he does phenomenal entrances, hands down. Hands Can we go down. to Trader Joe's and visit him soon? Sure. <laughs> Why not? Perfect. I'm down. So if we're seemingly following an order, our next inductee is for the Warrior Award. This one should hit you in the feels folks as shad gaspard is winning the warrior award now we are well aware that wwe wanted to do this while there was an audience sadly shad had passed away may 17th of 2020 when he and his son were taken out by a rip current in the ocean and as he was trying to save his son. He had got caught up in the mix. Lifeguards had come out and they went to him first. And he said, no, save my son. Tragically, Shad would pass away from drowning. Whatever you felt about Shad's career is okay. Because it's the heroism that he did for his son 
that has him here today getting the warrior award uh we know that he had passed in 2020 and fans were adamant that he should be in right away i also understand their fan side that feel that way i also understand wwe wanting a proper respect for shad with an audience i agree um I don't think it would have been right last year just because they were already last year when the audience came back for WrestleMania, they were already filling two Hall of Fame timeframes. Uh, I believe, if I'm correct, I don't think the Hall of Fame itself was actually in front of fans either last year. I believe Whoa. it was just WrestleMania. And they were also doing the 2020 and 2021 Hall of Fame. And we actually, uh, with your initial interview of Rob, Last year, Lee, we talked about this with Shad receiving the Warrior Award, and we got Rob's thoughts on it, and we had talked about how much more of an impact this would have if, you know, they always do the Hall of Fame ceremony before Mania, but then they do that little blurb of it during the show, and Rob said, how much more impactful will this be if we're live at WrestleMania, they announce Shad's uh, winning of the Warrior Award, and his son walks out in front of hundreds of thousands of people to accept the award for him. There won't be there won't be a dry eye in the room. No, there there won't. Um, there won't at all. Now, for those who don't know about Shad's career, he originally qualified for the finals to appear on the television show tough enough Two in 2002 uh, he was disqualified and replaced for failing a physical but after tough enough it was talent scout tom pritchard dr tom pritchard as some of you might know him as we actually interviewed dr tom pritchard you can go to our youtube page youtube.com slash perched on the top rope and watch that interview Shad would then go on to OVW, and then later we would see him in WWE partnered with JTG of Crime Time. Now, for the person that Alex is talking about, Rob Hockman is a former WWE writer who wrote all the vignettes for Crime Time. Now, at the time, Crime Time was rather controversial because it fed on stereotypes. It fed on stereotypes of African-American males. WWE did put a notice on WWE.com that these skits and these vignettes were going to be very Saturday Night Live-like and for people not to get offended by this. Um, their in-ring career as Crime Time originally was 2006 to 2007. They would be let go uh, in 2007. Together, JTG and Shad would, would, as singles and a tag team, would work the independent circuit, but they would return to WWE from 2008 to 2010. They worked together in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And then from there, they had both done various independent uh, stints and things like that. 
Shad was also part of a lot of movies that, you know, maybe some fans don't know about. He had done things like a movie called Bird of Prey. Uh, what was the other one there? He, 2015, he was in Brothers. In 2015, mm-hmm. he was also in Get Hard. Hmm. What a good movie. You know, so there, there was a lot of things outside of wrestling that he had also done. Uh, we had also seen on television. He was in uh, From Dusk Till Dawn, the, the television series. He was part of Key and uh, Peely, the, the show on uh, Comedy Central, Big Time Rush, The X's, The Game. He was in The Last Sharknado, It's About Time. And then he had done voiceover work. He was Bane in Batman, The Enemy Within. And he was also Kratos, God of War, doing motion capture. And he, he performed as Bane motion capture and stunts for those video games. When it comes to championships and accolades, uh, NWA wide side, he was a tag team champion with JTG. In Fighting Evolution Wrestling, a tag team champion with JTG. OVW. Southern Tag Team Championships, same thing, both with JTG. Everything he had done as a tag team, he and JTG had won. World Wrestling Alliance Tag Team Champions, JTG. Again, it's not so much about really his wrestling and the accolades that he performed as a professional wrestler. It's his heroism. Mm Mm-hmm. The man sacrificed himself for another loved one, which was was his son. And that's what the Warrior Award in WWE's eyes is supposed to be about. People that impact the community or people who have done well or people that are just um, good people, I suppose. Last year, we uh, saw Titus O'Neil accept the award on behalf of his contributions to the community we've seen others uh win the award in the past we've just seen people that are just inspiring win the award and this year's no different with shad we've been begging for some sort of recognition from wwe since shad's passing and it looks like they they planned on doing this all along but they wanted to give him the correct send-off yeah absolutely justin is there anything that you would like to add when it comes to shad and receiving this award you know, so I'm glad WB is uh, kind of listening to the fans on this. Maybe it was their intention to begin with, but, you know, I'm glad he's getting this award. I'm sure you guys can agree with me on this. I think it's shocking that Crime Time never held the tag titles once. Tyway robbery! A run. <laughs> uh, yeah, with how over they were at that time, it's just insane to me. Uh, I don't know if their release in 2007 kind of halted that momentum they had uh because if you remember they come back fairly quick like right after mm-hmm. wrestlemania 24 in 2008 yep um and then i remember they tried to do shad uh as a singles guy and give him somewhat of a big push and i'm not sure what happened there but it didn't go anywhere uh after the feud with jtg but you know this is i'm glad this is happening and you know whether it be wrestlemania hall of fame there's not gonna be a dry eye in in that house no there there won't be you're 100 percent right 
And ladies and gentlemen, this brings us to the final induction into the WWE Hall of Fame class of 2022. And you should be just as shocked as I am because one of these people was very adamant that the WWE Hall of Fame was bullshit and that he would never go in. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Steiner brothers. This one is probably the biggest shocker because of statements made by Scott Steiner, how Scott Steiner feels about WWE, how Scott Steiner feels about Triple H, just how he feels about the whole company in years past. He's been very adamant about these comments. Now, they started off in WCW in 1988. However, I did not really have any exposure to that. And they were there till 1992, but it was 1992 that I had actually got my exposure to these guys. And it's because they went from WCW to WWF. Now it wasn't without controversy of them leaving WCW. And I'll run down this real quick. Scott would win the WCW World Television Champion from Rick, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in 1992. Uh, at this time, there was a heel turn, which Scott was undergoing and then later aborted upon the Steiner brothers leaving World Championship Wrestling for the World Wrestling Federation. And they had left because Bill Watts, uh, the head of WCW at the time, lowballed their contract renewal so they left and they went to wwf they debuted as as, as baby faces uh, they used the michigan fight song at the time for their theme music as they were both from the university of michigan They made they they were on the debut episode of monday night raw january 11th 1993 uh, and two weeks later, they made their pay-per-view debut okay. January 24th at the 1993 Royal Rumble. Following that, they would be seen at that year's WrestleMania. Their career lasted from 1992 to 1994 in WWF. They were two-time tag team champions. And in one of the most interesting facts that I know about the Steiners comes from Rick Steiner during this time in the WWF. Now, this is probably going to shock a lot of fans when I announce this. But when it comes to winning percentages in WWF slash WWE, Rick Steiner has the second all-time highest winning percentage in WWF slash WWE wrestling history with a whopping 92.94444 blah, blah, blah. In that time, if you go back and look at their wrestling history record, the matches that they had lost were double countouts, double disqualifications. The Steiners from what I have found from 1992 to 1994, technically never lost a match alone. They lost it with their opponents. 
Now they would spend some time in ECW in 1995, and it was very short lived as we would see them go to WCW as a tag team feuding with the likes of Harlem heat. Rest in peace, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Vicious and delicious. Scott Norton and Buff Bagwell. We would see them separate as a tag team and go on and have single careers as Scott Steiner would receive a huge push, having been part of the NWO and Rick also had a good push, winning single championships in WCW as well. Don't forget his feud with Chucky. Nope. We're not <laughs> talking about that. <laughs> Fuck that doll. Anyway, these guys had a great career together. Brothers through and through real life. We would see them reconnect and tag together after WCW until Scott would go back to the WWE. And when things didn't pan out for him, that's where we see all, all the, the Scott Steiner adamant about not going in the WWE Hall of Fame. But I, I would think that with his nephew, Braun Steiner, I'm sorry if it walks like a Steiner, talks like a Steiner, barks like a Steiner, and has ring gear of a Steiner, it's a Steiner. We have seen Rick's son do great things already in WWE, which was a huge part of getting these guys into the WWE Hall of Fame. Alex, I'll let you start off on your memories. So I never got to experience Scott Hall, not Scott Hall. Wow. So I never got to experience Scott Steiner or Rick Steiner in WCW, WWF, uh, anything like that. Their time had already come and passed by the time I had gotten into WWE. I never really got to watch WCW as a kid very much. So I didn't get to see them in that aspect. My exposure to the Steiners actually came with Scott Steiner originally during his uh, return to WWE when he had feuded with Triple H and Evolution. And that was very short lived for me. And then my actual exposure to the Steiner brothers was their run in TNA. Um, very notable. I'm a big TNA guy. Early TNA was my thing. And so I was very big on their feud with Team 3D, also known as the Dudley Boys in TNA. They had had this feud where they had like, um, basically, <laughs> Scott was calling Bubba fat all the time and Bubba was just getting more and more pissed. And normally that would come off as like campy WWE comedy. But in this case, because Bubba Ray can sell it like no other, it was hilarious. And it was during Scott Steiner's time in TNA that Alex, if you remember, we were at Excite Wrestling that I interviewed Scott Steiner. And uh, I think we should revisit that and put that online sometime. Absolutely. Yeah, that was um, that was during his return run to Impact Wrestling. Yep. But earlier on, seeing the Steiner brothers in TNA was kind of cool because they were still they were still able to go in the ring. This was towards the end of Rick's career. Um, he was starting to show signs of slowing down, but they they made it they made it work perfectly to where Scott took most of the in ring work because he was still doing fine at that point. And it was really cool to see. Um, 
Speaking of Scott, we all know that Scott's been very outspoken about not being in the Hall of Fame. And I found this really funny meme online, which I'm going to be looking at the entire Hall of Fame induction if they let Scott Steiner anywhere near a microphone. So, (laughs) So the meme reads, and I quote in the memory of the Raw General Manager, Scott Steiner, I'm honored to be inducted into this year's WWE Hall of Fame. WWE. Mm-hmm. Scott Steiner, over my career, I've always given it to my all to be the best that I can be. WWE gives slow round of applause. And then Scott Steiner just goes, unlike that punk bitch Triple H. And WWE just goes, oh, no. And I cannot wait to see if that actually happens. I think that's, aside from Undertaker getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, I am most looking forward to if they give Scott Steiner a live microphone. Well, he's going to talk. There's no question about it. Uh, you never know, though. They, they, with how he is, they might just literally have them come up and be like, okay, so Rick's going to do all the talking. Braun's going to induct you. Scott, you're going to stand in the, happy, in the back, be happy, and then you guys are going to go. And then Scott's going to be like, well, that's not fucking happening. Give me a microphone. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if for Scott, they already have something like pre-written out for him. Just be like, here, read this. Don't go off script or we'll cut the mic. Either that or they're going to be one of the few virtual inductions. You know how uh, some of them last year weren't able to make it and they yeah. sent them in via like uh, videos. It's entirely possible they do that because they don't trust Scott Steiner either. Yeah, right. We'll see. Justin, what memories do you have of the Steiner brothers? So, same as Alex. I was exposed to Scott first uh, on his WBF run, or not WB at that by that time in 2002. Uh, you know, uh, it was the big bad booty daddy. Bleach blonde hair, goatee, uh, nice little uh, chain link hat. No, not hat, but uh, cover on his head. Uh and, you know, going back and watching the Steiner brothers and seeing how Scott Steiner was uh, in 1993, I'm like, there's no way that's the same person. <laughs> Dude, that's the same thing I thought when I went back and saw their old footage. I was like, they replaced him. This is a different person. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, my first kind of exposure to the Steiner brothers as a kid was actually same as Alex, uh, their TNA run and their uh, few with Team 3D. Mm-hmm. which uh alex if you remember that kind of got put on hold for a bit because uh scott steiner had to have surgery wasn't it in mexico yeah uh, he like he like almost died yeah uh so road warrior animal of all people actually stepped in and teamed with rick at a slammiversary that year to take on the dudley's team free day uh another thing i want to point out just because they're staring right at me and lee i know you'll agree with me uh the steiner brothers have probably one of the best looking Hasbros uh, out of that whole line. Uh, just the bright singlets and everything I think is awesome. Uh, you know, uh, their match at WrestleMania 9, Head Shrinkers, I think is actually one of the brighter points of that show. Uh, other than Tatanka and Sean and kind of the whole Roman Caesar Palace presentation of it all. Uh, and like Lee said, I'm very surprised Scott Steiner ended up agreeing to this induction because 
for years it was hell no to the Hall of Fame. And as we were kind of getting closer to it, I'm like, okay. And, and this is literally the week of the Hall of Fame, the week of the inductions. Uh, uh, maybe Steiner agreed and then he backed out. Maybe this ain't happening. Uh, but no, they announced it yesterday afternoon. But definitely a well-deserved place in the Hall of Fame for the Steiner brothers. Absolutely. And as a tag team, they have quite a list of accomplishments all the way from two-time WWF tag team champions. When it comes to New Japan Pro Wrestling, they are a two-time IWGP tag team champion as well. When it comes to WCW, they are a one-time NWA slash WCW United States tag team champions as well as when it comes to the WCW Tag Team Championships themselves, they are a seven-time Tag Team Champions. Now, if you want singles, Scott Steiner's a one-time WCW Heavyweight Champion. Between the two of them, they have held the WCW Television Championship five times, Rick holding it three, Scott holding it two. They've had a phenomenal career as a tag team. Again, a longevity career, much like The Undertaker, much like Vader when it comes to their professional wrestling careers. All I can think of is that it took a lot to get this to happen. And I'm positive that Braun Breaker, Steiner Breaker, played a huge factor in this when it comes to getting this to happen. Now, there's supposed to be a rumor that Sid was going to go into the WWE Hall of Fame this year, but rumor has it he had a softball game. Ladies and gentlemen, you can go to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash perched on the top rope for all these awesome interviews that we have talked about today. If you want to listen to our podcast, you can listen anywhere and everywhere from Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, Podbean, Podbay, and Red Circle. You can find our podcast anywhere podcasts are found. All you got to do is search Perched on the Top Rope. We are on Facebook rapidly closing in on our first round of 10,000 followers. Facebook.com slash Perched on the Top Rope. We are on Twitter at Perched Top Rope. Perched on the Top Rope doesn't fit. It's too long. You can find us on That's Instagram. what she said. <laughs> you can find <laughs> us on Instagram at Perched on the Top Rope Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we're also on TikTok where we produce some of the funniest Selena scenes involving some of the greatest moments in professional wrestling history. And if that's not funny enough for you, you can watch the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, yes, the leader of the Dungeon of Doom in WCW, get humped by a dog. <laughs> Every fucking time. I was waiting for that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, make sure you catch the WWE Hall of Fame on the Peacock Network, 10 p.m. right after SmackDown airs. Sorry, Rampage, but your ratings are going to suck. Ladies and yeah. gentlemen, this has been another episode of Perched on the Top Rope. Make sure when you, after you listen to this episode, go back and listen to all the other episodes. And lastly, we want to thank those who have gotten us on Chartable's Top 250 Wrestling Podcasts. America, Great Britain, Canada, Ireland, Germany, Australia, and 
Indonesia, we thank you for getting us on those charts. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of Perched on the Top Rope. And always remember, spoiler freeze, the way to be. We're out. Later. Peace. Mm-hmm.